You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I love Proverbs 24, 16. Here's what it says. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. Peter failed, not once, not twice. But Peter failed, who knows? We don't have all of them recorded. But he got back up. Sometimes it can be easy to look at Jesus' apostles with rose-colored glasses. In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches you that although the apostles did many great things, they also had times of failure. They too had seasons where they were being refined by fire. However, even when they fell, they always got back up. Pastor Danny encourages you that even if you failed, God can raise you back up. God will always enable those who love the Lord to rise up for His kingdom and glory. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Deuteronomy chapter one, as he continues his message, testing, temptation, discipline, and the word of God. Chapter 8, verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter the, and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would obey his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's one of the verses that Jesus quoted when he was tempted by Satan. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And then verse 16, he gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. He tested you. There is a fine and yet profound line between testing and temptation. A fine and yet profound line between testing And temptation. Here's what James says Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Then the very next verse When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and then he's enticed. The book of Deuteronomy was a vital part of the Word of God 
for Jesus in resisting temptation. But Deuteronomy is also an essential part of the word of God in helping us through times of testing. Here's the question. Why does God test us? He tells us in the text, one of the reasons, revelation. What do I mean by that? Testing will reveal the true condition of our hearts. When it says here, in order to know what was in your heart, I need to remind us, it wasn't for God to know what was in our heart. Obviously, God knows what's in our heart. The testing is so we would know the true condition of our heart. Early on in my Christian life, God rebuked me, and he told me that I was conceited. It wasn't easy. He did it through a girl. I'm not going to tell you the story. It wasn't Wendy. He did it through a life experience and through a proverb. So he used the word of God and life experience to show me something I did not see, did not know at that time in my life, and that was that I was proud. I was conceited. It was a humbling thing. I love the apostle Peter, and one of the reasons I love the apostle Peter is he was a proud man. But I don't think Peter saw himself as a proud man. Look real quick, Mark's gospel, chapter 14. Mark 14, verse 27. Jesus tells his apostles, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, he's talking about the other apostles, even if all fall away, I will not. I'm sure Peter believed that about himself. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. You know who's saying that to Peter? Do I need to tell us who's saying that? That's red letter. That's Jesus. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you the truth. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. And Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And of course, all the others said the same. But Peter puts himself above his peers. He's proud. But he doesn't see himself as proud. And when what Jesus said came true that very night, that Peter three times denied that he even knew the Lord. And one gospel writer tells us, when the cock crowed after the third denial, Jesus turned and looked eyeball to eyeball at Peter. You know what Peter did? He went outside and he wept bitterly because of his failure he was humbled that was a time of testing that became temptation that became failure and God intended that he learn from his failure and thank God he did but he didn't have a perfect track record after that years and years after that humbling experience Galatians chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul now has been on the scene for a while. It's been years since that failure of Peter's denial of Jesus. But verse 11 of Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. 
Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Have you ever thought not only how brave, courageous the apostle Paul was at this point, but how embarrassing it had to be, how humiliating it had to be for Peter. And once again, he was humbled. And a time of testing became a time of temptation, and a failure, and once again, humbled. Ultimately, Peter would face the greatest test as an aged apostle. How do we know that? John chapter 21, there on the beach, Jesus says to Peter, after he deals with his three denials, do you love me? Do you really love me? And he was hurt when Jesus the third time said, do you love me? And then Jesus tells him, When you were young, you dressed the way you wanted to and you went where you wanted to go. But when you are old, they will dress you the way you do not want to be dressed and you will be led where you do not want to go. And by saying this, Jesus told him how he would glorify God. He would become a martyr as an aged apostle. And you know what we learned from that? I'm not encouraged. Times of testing don't end in this life. Even as an aged saint, you will be tested. You will be tempted. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Testing also reveals the genuineness of our faith. Listen to what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I love Proverbs 24, 16. Here's what it says. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. Peter failed, not once, not twice, But Peter failed, who knows? We don't have all of them recorded, but he got back up. One of my favorite characters to teach on at men's conferences is Samson. I've taught on him many times. Samson, over 20 years of ministry, failed repeatedly. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And yet, he is one of those listed in God's hall of fate in Hebrews chapter 11. Because even after repeated failure and ending up blind, bound by the Philistines and going around in circles there in his prison, he repented. And he said, God, one more time, 
one more time and you know the story. You put one hand on one pillar, the other hand on the other pillar of the temple of Dagon there with all the thousands of Philistines and God honored that prayer and honored his repentance and sent the power one last time and he slew more in his death than he did in his life. And the proof of the genuineness of his salvation, no matter how many times he failed, he got back up. He repented. Now, not only is testing mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 8, but discipline, discipline. As a father disciplines his son, so God disciplines us. Last question. (laughs) Why does God discipline us? Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Proverbs 3.11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. God wants us to respond just that rebuke. But if we don't respond with the rebuke, then here's what happens. (laughs) Punishment. That happens when we fail to respond correctly to the discipline, to the rebuke. I got a scar right here. Those of you who have been around here for a while, you know that. You've heard me say it, but some of you are new. I got a scar right there. I got that scar when I was six years old, five or six. My mother gave me instructions. There was a junkyard just on the other side of our neighbor's yard, junkyard, and, and it attracted me. And my mother said, Danny, don't, don't, don't ever go in that junkyard because she knew if I go in the junkyard, it might get hurt. I went in the junkyard. You know what happened? I screamed, screamed all the way home. There was blood everywhere. I mean, it's a pretty significant scar. Could have lost my thumb. I've never forgotten that. Never forgotten that. I can see the junkyard in my mind. I can also see the blood the day I went in it. I got a scar on this thumb. I was as a teenager, living a life of rebellion, knowing the truth, but not living the truth. At Lake Robinson, late at night, Kicked back quite a few, and we all went skinny dipping. And in my pride, I wanted to show off. And I went running down that dock, and I was going to do a real good something. But it never happened. I tripped, I fell, I hit a nail sticking out of the side of the dock, and it almost took off this thumb. So I got one on this hand and one on this hand. They're daily reminders. I got it. <laughs> I got no skin right here because another time I tripped. The skin that came out, we had 31 cats. One of the cats ate the skin. My Mother, grandmother were looking around because they, they, the doc said, well, you know, if, if you got that piece, bring it in and we can put it in and then sew it up. I got a scar on this leg. It's not nearly as bad. But I got scars on the right side. I got scars on the left side. And I know they're from God. He didn't make it happen, but he knew it would happen. And somehow that sovereignty of God and free will of man were working together. And here's what the psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. 
There's somebody who learned their lesson. I gotta hurry. And there's another reason. Maturation. All scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Fascinating to me, this verse. Although he was a son, Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, the word means mature. He's obviously sinless. Jesus is sinless. And yet he was made mature through suffering, learned obedience. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. No other way. Name me one mature saint in the Bible or in life. Name me one mature saint that didn't go through times of testing, trial. Unfortunately, that's the only path to maturity. Jesus had to go through that. Now, I left just a few minutes, and I hope this doesn't seem odd because it's in the text. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. I want to switch gears and in closing, give you a bonus from the two chapters in the text we highlighted, Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. A lot of us are older. Our kids are grown. There are four types of parents. The first type, I want you to hopefully remember. This will help you remember. They're soft. They're soft. And if you're a soft parent, and that's, that's the way you are, a child will never really mature because you're soft. You see, we need to learn from God how to parent. But some of you are young enough now and got young enough kids, it's not too late for you. you know? Some of us can't go back. And if you can't go back, pray like mad for your kids. Pray for them anyway. But see, some parents, they're soft. Some people have the gift of mercy and it helps you just to be soft, you know. And, and, and you're never really disciplined because you're soft. And then you get just the opposite of that. And hopefully this will remind you, you know. Some, they're just heavy, heavy. And they, the hammer, the hammer's coming down, you know. And they're just very authoritative, heavy, always putting down the hammer, all right? And then the third kind, it's a remote. And it's, I don't have time, I don't have time. They're neglectful, they're neglectful, neglectful. I don't have time for you, I don't have time, you're too busy. And the fourth type of parent, and that's what we want to shoot for, all right? Here's what you want to shoot for. You want to shoot for balance. The only perfect parent is God. The only perfect parent is God. His first two kids rebelled. But what we want to shoot for, we want to be like God. Because God's not too soft. He's not too heavy. He's certainly not neglectful. And so we want to learn to be like him. Now, with that said, I didn't put these on the PowerPoint. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rod hates his son. It doesn't mean emotionally, means you're neglecting what you need to do. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Proverbs 22, 15, folly is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. I'm just grieved at how many Christians, or at least professing Christians, use time out instead of the rod. Time out is one of the worst things you can do for your child. 
Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. It'll just sound like he's going to die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother because there's no obedience. There's no real submission because there's been no discipline. There's been no correction. I just put some questions here. What kind of rod should I use? I highly recommend the one that we can get you, but we can't sell them in our bookstore lest somebody go to jail. (laughs) But if you like some that we have put together, it's the best because it gives the most pain with the least evidence. (laughs) The most pain with the least evidence. By the way, learning how hard to hit, unfortunately, the best way to do that is right inside here. All right, right inside here. This is a soft area. And this is the way we in our parenting classes early on here at Calvary Chapel, uh, and we were taught this, and you can just clap yourself, you know, spank yourself, and then you can learn how hard, you know, you need to spank the child. You certainly don't want to be too hard. But again, the ones that we can provide for you, they're, they're, they're excellent. I suggest choose a designated place. Now, you can't always have, you know, when you're at home, choose a designated place. You know, we have that old saying, I'm going to take you to the woodshed. And that was the designated place, the woodshed. And if you want, if you got a woodshed and you want to do that, then you literally take them to the woodshed. Uh, But take them to a designated place. Don't discipline in public unless absolutely necessary. And then one of the greatest challenges, one of the greatest challenges is to be consistent. Be consistent. Be consistent. If you discipline them one day and then four days go by and you don't discipline them and they need the discipline, then inconsistency is not gonna not gonna get you where you want to go. Remove padding. I put these notes online. Remove padding. So if I go to jail, come visit me. Uh, remove padding. Remove padding that prevents pain. Don't spank their diaper. Not gonna work. That's pretty padded. They just turn up and smile at you. Expect immediate obedience, not. One, I'm going to count to five. I'm going to count to five. You count to five when you're telling them to stop going out into busy traffic and your child is gone. No, first time. First time. Expect immediate obedience. Don't try to bribe your children. Okay, if you'll be good now. There's a difference in bribing and rewarding. Reward them for things, but don't bribe them. And I hear that a lot of times. Okay, if you'll be good, no, no, you're going to be good or you're going to get the woodshed. You're going to be obedient. That's what I mean by good. I mean, only one good, and that's God. How old before you begin to spank your children? When they can understand. No. And uh, I tried to get my wife up here to do this, but she refused. And then how old is too old to spank? Usually around puberty, about that time, is when you're going to move from uh, spanking to disciplining them in other ways. So I don't know if that helped anybody. I'm sure it offended somebody. But please, hey, God loves us enough. He loves us enough. And we saw it tonight in our text. 
Uh, he loves us, and because He loves us, He disciplines us. He disciplines us because He wants us not only obedient, He wants us to grow up, become mature. Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today for his message in Deuteronomy. There's a lot to learn from this Old Testament book. Deuteronomy was written at an interesting time in the Israelites' history. They were ending their time of wandering in the wilderness, and they were on the cusp of entering the Promised Land that they'd anticipated for years. God's promises included in the book of Deuteronomy were a reminder to the people then and are a refresher for us too that God wants us to be faithful to Him. When your loyalty lies with God, then He's freed up to bless you richly in the way that you go. Do you want or care about God's blessing? If you'd like to hear more about this from Pastor Danny's teachings in Deuteronomy, or if you'd like to explore other series from the Living Word, we invite you to visit ccfstpete.church. Simply go to the Resources tab and click on the Teachings link. While you're browsing our website, you can also learn more about the church where these teachings come from, Calvary Chapel Fellowship. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join us for church this weekend. We meet on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Details and directions are at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. Join us next time for more from Deuteronomy. Pastor Danny will continue to bring this book to life and help you grow in your understanding right here on The Living Word.